Wow, you know, our transformation from the old self into the new nature in Christ may not be as instantaneous as Steve Rogers' transformation into Captain America, but our transformation has an eternal impact. Hey, good morning. I am so glad that you guys are here with us. I'm glad you survived everything that is Thanksgiving week, you know, having a house full of uh, family and friends and loved ones and and celebrating that way. We had a house full at our place, and, and I know that, uh, that many of you probably feel like us. We are so glad to see everybody come, and we're so glad to see them go back home again. So I'm glad you survived that, or, you know, perhaps uh, you were one of those brave souls who went out uh, for Black Friday and got in the middle of that mess. I sat in the comfort of my easy chair with my smartphone and Black Friday shopped. It was awesome. But I'm glad that you survived, and I'm glad that you are here this morning. For those of you who are joining us online through our YouTube channel, our live stream, thank you and welcome. We are glad that you are here with us. I'm Scott Blount, the Associate Minister at Vero Christian Church. Steve Jones, our preaching minister, is under the weather today, and so, uh, so it's me, and I am so thankful to be able to share God's Word with you. August the 27th, 1985. I will never forget it as long as I live. That's the day that changed my life for eternity. Nope, it's not my wedding anniversary date, although my marriage to Peggy certainly changed my life for the good. And no, I will never forget the anniversary of my wedding. Um, that date is, um, oh, I'm just kidding. That date's August the 8th, 1981, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. August the 27th, 1985, that's the day I'm talking about. It's not the day that any of our kids were born, although all of those dates were very impactful in our lives. Certainly, it was not the date that any of our six grandbabies were born. And yes, we're up to six now. Um, and I know their birth dates. And if you want to know those dates, then see me after the service. I'll be happy to rattle that off for you. Somebody tested me after the first service. I passed with flying colors. So, but none of those are the dates I'm talking about. No, no, no. No, they're all important. But on that fateful Tuesday evening of August the 27th, 1985, I died and was resurrected into new life. You see, that's when I began my Colossians 3-1 journey as a new creation in Christ. Oh, it was only the beginning of a great adventure with Jesus. And man, I've had plenty of stumbles along the way. But this was the starting point to my new nature living. And new nature living is the rest of the gospel. You see, that Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, I was buried in the watery grave of baptism and raised into new life with Christ. I had killed my old self and now had a new nature. Like I said, it wasn't as dramatic as Steve Rogers transforming into Captain America, or was it? I mean, if you had looked at me physically, you wouldn't have noticed anything different at that time. But spiritually, I was alive for the first time in my life. 
I put on a new nature. And I was just starting to see that new nature living is the rest of the gospel. As I look back on the past 33 years of my life in Christ, I see that there has been growth that has taken place. My old sinful nature is giving way to a new nature. It's not always been easy or even pleasant, but I can't find anywhere in Scripture that tells me that it will be. I can't say that I was in any way whatsoever prepared for the life that lay ahead of me on August the 27th, 1985. You see, I was a broadcast journalist at that time. I worked in radio news. I had given zero seconds of thought to being in ministry at that point. Huh. Oh, what a quick 33 years will do for you, right? All I knew on August the 27th, 1985, was that I love Jesus. And I was willing to follow Jesus wherever he led me, whatever that meant. I didn't have to know what it was going to look like 33 years down the road. I just wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. I wanted to be a fisher of people following Jesus. You know, we all, I think, have that desire to want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, don't we? I mean... After all, who would not have wanted to have been a teammate of Michael Jordan's in his heyday? Who wouldn't want to be on the team that finds the cure for cancer? And who wouldn't want to have helped Al Gore invent the Internet, after all? We all want to be a part of a winning team. And we're willing, if we have that kind of desire, we're willing to follow our leader or leaders wherever they take us. Be that in our family life, at work, at school, in sports, in the arts, you name it. But what about in our walk with Christ? You remember when Jesus called his first followers? He told Peter and company that he would show them how to fish for people. Now, Peter and company were fishermen. They knew all about fishing for fish. But he was going to show them how to fish for people. You talk about a great adventure. And most of us, like Peter and company, when they were first called, most of us, when we were first called, we, we don't have much of a clue as to what that's really going to entail. So it behooves us, then, to study the life of Christ and the writings of his earliest followers as they instruct the called-out ones on, that's us, the church, by the way, as we're instructed on how to live out the rest of the gospel. By the way, quick side note, the word translated church, it, church is not a building. That's a misapplication of translation that many folks make. So, Greek warning, Greek warning, I will tell you, I know just enough Bible college Greek to be dangerous. So, here we go. You've been warned. The Greek word that is translated church is the word ekklesia. And according to the New Testament Greek lexicon, it literally means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. An assembly of the people convened at the public place of the council for the purpose of deliberating. 
the assembly of the Israelites. Any gathering or throng of men assembled by chance tumultuously. In a Christian sense, ecclesia can mean an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. Ah, that sounds vaguely familiar. A company of Christians or of those who, hoping for eternal salvation in Jesus Christ, observe their own religious rites, hold their own religious meetings, and manage their own affairs according to the regulations prescribed for the body for order's sake. Or it could mean those who anywhere in a city, village, constitute such a company and are united into one body. Or it could mean the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth. Or finally, it could mean the assembly of faithful Christians already dead and received into heaven. So church, we are the called out ones, the ecclesia, an assembly of Christians. We are the team that Jesus put together to fish for people. So if we're supposed to fish for people, what's the bait? Well, I would submit to you that the bait is grace and truth expressing itself through love. I want, to, uh, I want to share with you Paul's thoughts with the called out ones uh, in Colossae. And in fact, as we, uh, as we prepare to see Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, I'm going to ask that you would stand and read this out loud with me. In honor of God's word, let's stand. And we're going to read uh, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Read with me, please. Put on your new nature. And be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. So, Paul done quit preaching and gone to meddling there, didn't he? I know. If we're going to take these words seriously, then we uh, fishers of people have got to live different lives than we did before we took on that new nature in Christ. New nature living is the rest of the gospel. We just read that Paul says new nature living requires that we become like our creator, that we clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness and patience oh yeah and love we must clothe ourselves with love man what a wardrobe that would be huh 
We must make allowance for each other's faults. We must forgive others as we have been forgiven. We need to let the peace from Christ rule in our hearts. We need to live in peace and always be thankful. Now, I know some of you uh, may be thinking right about now, yeah, Scott, that's good. That's what the Colossians were supposed to do. But have you been to one of my family gatherings? Have you seen my social media feed and what is on there from everybody else? I mean, how am I supposed to live this out? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because remember, new nature living is the rest of the gospel. I've recently been reading uh, Brian Jennings' book, Dancing in No Man's Land. And at the risk of oversimplifying his premise, he talks about the fact that we have a tendency to hunker in the bunker. Right? And when we're in the bunker, man, we're with like-minded people only and always. And the people over in that other bunker are the enemy. And in between is no man's land. He gives a great history of, of how all of this came about in World War I and the warfare that took place in bunkers and, and getting up into no man's land, you know, meant pretty certain death in World War I. But I want to read to you a section from chapter 6 of his book, talking, and, and this passage talks about you may be in a bunker if. Okay. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. So here's what Jennings writes. Here are a few more simple signs you may be in a bunker. You only listen to and read from sources that agree with you. For the arrogant husband, this means talking only to people who will go along with your disrespect of your wife. For the politically minded, this means you only read sources reinforcing your positions. You lack friends who disagree with your spiritual or political beliefs. Do you avoid people who think differently than you? Have you offended them, causing them to avoid you? Do you raise opinions, or do your opinions rather, raise barriers to relationships? Your anger over differences with others overpowers your compassion for their souls. Does love or anger dominate your deepest feelings about others? When people leave your presence, they're likely worked up about an issue. Do you add fuel to divisive, unimportant issues, or do you add calm and proper perspective? Do you take every opportunity to bring up divisive subjects? You have the same conversation over and over with the same people about the same topic. Do you find comfort in digging deeper with like-minded friends? Do those with different opinions avoid you? You either demonize or idolize others. Do you gloss over foolish behavior from those who support your causes? Do you quickly spot your enemy's shortcomings while rushing to defend your own failures and the failures of your friends? Have you despised a political figure during the primary, but after they won your party's nomination, begun to gloss over their flaws? You spread information without any concern for its accuracy or helpfulness. Do you share internet stories without regard for truth as long as they fit your agenda? 
You say things that get half-hearted, awkward, or silent responses in return. When people don't want to pick a fight but also don't want to affirm your harsh, ignorant words, they'll stay real quiet. Saying, I like George Clooney, even though he's such a crazy liberal, escalates the discomfort level of a room. Do you assume everyone agrees with you about everything? You often begin statements with, I'm sorry, but... followed by derogatory remarks. No, you are not sorry. You are angry. You lack self-control and compassion. You have a martyr complex. Ever notice how feuding spouses, fighting friends, and warring politicians all feel as if they are the victims? Your family or friends believe that if they do not agree with your position, your relationship will be intensely difficult. They force a smile and nod. When your position suffers a victory or setback, it affects your attitude and emotions for hours, days, or weeks on end. What causes you to rejoice or mourn? Did Jesus rejoice or mourn about similar things? Now, Jennings doesn't say that we shouldn't stand for truth, all right? In fact, as new creations in Christ, we should be all about truth in grace and love. Jennings ends this section of the book by saying this, do not give up. You can stand by your principles without attacking from a bunker. It has been done. It's being done. You can do this. We can all do this together. Now, if the meme that's up here on the screen right now describes you, you may want to rethink your approach because you are firmly down in a bunker. It will not serve you well in the call to be fishers of people. Don't forget, new nature living is the rest of the gospel. We are called out ones, putting on a new nature, while realizing our new nature takes hold more and more over time. Steve has told us in this sermon series that's called sanctification. We are to live out the rest of the gospel in a manner that will attract all others to Christ. And by all, I mean all. Everyone. Even people who don't think like you. All. Perhaps instead of blasting away on social media or at family gatherings, we should instead live our lives by daily asking this question. What does love require from me? How would our lives look if we lived each day as a people who exhibit the traits of our new nature? You know, to become like our Creator, to clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and love. Oh yeah, don't don't forget love. What if we make allowance for each other's faults? What if we live in a manner that forgives others as we have been forgiven? What if we let the peace of Christ 
rule in our hearts, and we live in peace, always being thankful. New nature living is the rest of the gospel. So this morning, I would ask each of us, <clears throat> what's the next step that we need to take in order to live out according to that new nature that we have received in Christ? May we determine to take that next step starting right now. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are grateful for the new nature that we have through your Son, Jesus. We are thankful, God, for the forgiveness that you have given us. We are overwhelmed by the love that you show to us on a regular basis. Help us to live out our new nature in Christ, realizing that that is the rest of the gospel. Help us to live in such a manner as to be fishers of people, all people. Help us, God, to live every day in answer to the question, what does love require from me? Thank you for your Holy Spirit and for the power that we have through him. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.